3, verses 1 to 13. The fall of man. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you, when you eat of, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing for the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The servant deceived me, and I ate. Well, this Sunday is, uh, is the big welcome, and uh, I hope that you feel very uh, welcome here this morning. And uh, the theme for the big welcome uh, this morning is, God hears your questions. God hears your questions. And uh, when you came in this morning, you would have probably, hopefully, received a, a little uh, sheet. If you haven't got one, uh, there's some more at the back, on. just wave. And uh, this morning is an opportunity... Uh, for us to ask God the question that we've always wanted to ask. And so if you've got a question uh, that you've always wanted to ask God, uh, it might not come to your mind straight away, it might come uh, during the course of this morning's sermon, uh, write that down and there'll be an opportunity for us uh, to present those questions to God uh, later on in service. So, uh, God hears your questions. Uh, there's all sorts of questions, isn't there? You know, there's, there's, there's really big questions that sometimes uh, that we ask, isn't there? Uh, like any of you that, uh, you know, uh, opened uh, your papers this morning and, and, and turned to the uh, uh, sports column, you might have been uh, surprised to read the Skybet Championship uh, League table and seen Burnley in second place. And the question you might ask is will that where where they'll be at the end of the season? Uh, big questions. Others of us might ask, be asking the question, you know, who's going to win uh, the local derby today? 
who knows big questions. But there's all sorts of questions. Of course, not all questions are as, as serious as that. I mean, I came across this list of, uh, of questions. See what you make of this. Uh, do people that work for Thai food tea get a coffee break? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, why do we press harder on the remote, remote control when the battery's dead? Who knows? Isn't it a bit unnerving that doctors call uh, where they work a practice? <laughs> Would a fly without wings be called a walk? And, uh, and my favourite one, if the police arrest a mime artist, does he still have the right to remain silent? <laughs> We're going to be asking a, a bit more serious questions than that this morning. And uh, we're going to be doing that uh, by looking at this passage from Genesis 3, but also uh, relating to uh, that story that we had so wonderfully uh, presented to us this morning uh, of the prodigal. Um, So there are all sorts of questions, questions, questions. I wonder whether you know, what is the first question that we find in the Bible? What's the first question that we find in the Bible? Julie's desperate to tell me the answer. Where are you? Thank you, Julie. Thank you, yes. Uh, Where are you is the first question that we find in the Bible. I'm a bit ahead of myself. Hang on, hold on to that. I'll I'll ask that question a bit later, okay? And I'll come back to Julie. Uh, People ask Jesus all sorts of questions. Uh, questions about eternal life what must I do to inherit eternal life Uh, questions about ethics is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason and uh, you know questions about suffering who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind people very often came to Jesus with all sorts of questions and uh, we might have questions this morning and uh, like I said there will be an opportunity to present our questions Uh, But God asks questions of us. God asks questions of us. In in one of my favourite books in the Bible, in the book of Job, um, Job is a book that's full of questions. Job questions God time and time again. He asks questions of God and and, and, and he talks to his friends. And when God actually speaks to Job, he says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. And you will answer me. There's a time and a place for our questions. And there's nothing wrong with us asking questions of God. In fact, we find that in the Bible again and again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But God also asks questions of us. And this morning, as well as thinking of the questions that we have, um, I want us to think about the questions that God might have for us. So does anybody know what the first question is that God asks in the Bible? Julie! <laughs> Tell me! Did God say? Yeah? Did God say? Satan asked. Did God say? No, I, I go to Julie. I go to Julie. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you? Thank you. I, I think. Uh, I think the first question in the Bible is in Genesis three and verse nine. Where are you? Uh, he asks of Adam and Eve. Now, of course, 
God doesn't ask that question because he doesn't know where Adam and Eve are. He doesn't ask that question because he doesn't know where Adam and Eve are. We read, uh, didn't we, in the opening psalm uh, this morning, we've got a seeking God. And uh, the psalmist says, Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. And he goes on to say, Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Uh, God asks that question, not because he doesn't know where Adam and Eve are, but to make Adam and Eve think about why they are where they are. And the first question that God asks in the Bible is a question that God still asks. You know, where are you this morning in your relationship with God? Where are you? Are you like Adam and Eve? Are you hiding from God, hoping that he won't find you? Maybe you're hiding from God, hoping that he will find you. You know, have you ever played uh, hide and seek with with kids or or grandchildren? Uh, You know, kids really want you to find you, don't they? Uh, Sometimes they can't can't remain in the place if you don't find them quick enough because they're desperate for you to find them. And uh, and this is the God that we have. Uh, He knows where we are. And sometimes he might act like a parent and act as if he doesn't know, but he knows exactly where we are. So when he asks Adam and Eve where they are, he's not saying, where are you, in the sense that I I can't find you. He's asking them to think about where they are. They're hiding from God. Presumably before, when when God walked around the garden in the cool of the day, uh, they were quite happy to to come out and, and, and see him. But on this occasion, they're hiding from God. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And of course it's true, isn't it? Very often when things go wrong or we do things wrong, we tend to hide from God. That's very evident in the fact that very often people stop coming to church when life goes wrong. And although we probably don't think about it, and that's why that question, where are you, is so important. Very often we might not think about it, but maybe that's what we're doing. Something goes wrong in life, we have some sort of tragedy, some sort of disaster, we fall out with somebody, something goes wrong, we do something wrong, and we know that we're in the wrong, and maybe we stop coming to church. And in that sense, we're a bit like Adam and Eve, we're hiding in the bushes, hoping that God won't be able to see us. And some people will actually think, if I don't go to church, God won't be able to see me, he can't touch me, I can stay at home. I can watch telly. Let me tell you, God is there. The psalmist says in one, Psalm 139, God is everywhere. There is no place that we can go that God isn't. If I go to the highest heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of the earth, you are there. There's nowhere we can go. But we can ignore God. We can ignore God when he comes to us. We can ignore God. So... Our God is a seeking God who seeks us out, who looks for us. And he wants us to understand where we are. And uh, in the uh, wonderful parable that the young people presented us, the parable of the prodigal daughter, of course based on Luke 15, those three parables, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son, where Jesus tells stories that includes something being lost and somebody seeking and finding and when they find what was lost they celebrate and they throw a party. 
Just thought I'd throw that in just in case anyone was uh, was falling asleep at that point. <laughs> this is this is what our God is like. He's a seeking God who looks for us. He's a seeking God who looks for us. In Luke 15 and verse 20 it says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And from that we get this idea that maybe every day, just as God walked in the garden to seek out Adam and Eve, every day this father in the parable was looking out, hoping that this would be the day when the son decided to return to him. Our God is a seeking God. And this morning, he's looking for you. And he asks you that question, where are you? Where are you in that relationship with God? Maybe you know that you're far away. Maybe you feel quite near and that's great. And we rejoice in that. Maybe you kind of feel in between and you're not sure. You don't feel near but you don't feel far. Wherever you are this morning, God is seeking you. And all you have to do is make yourself known to him. So our God is a a seeking God. And then, our God is a searching God. Our God is a searching God. Um, The second question in uh, in Genesis chapter 3, you can can argue about me whether these are the first or second question after the service. But the second question I think you'll find is, God asks them, who told you? Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? In other words, how do you know? How do you know? Who's told you? And of course Adam and Eve get into this, uh, this is where the blame game started. You know, all, all those husbands that have blamed your wives, this is where it started. Adam blames Eve's, Eve blames the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. Bum bum. <laughs> I promise you they get better from this point onwards, <laughs> but not a lot. <laughs> Who told you? How do you know where you are? How do you know your present situation? How do you know that you've done something wrong? Well, there's something within us that tells us, isn't there? Something within our conscience. We actually know. Uh, you know, sometimes in ethics we have this uh, argument, don't we, whether people actually know right from wrong. Well, most people do know right from wrong. We know when we've done something wrong. Something within us convicts us. We know when we've upset people. We don't always do the right thing, but we know. We know really when it's our fault. Sometimes pride gets in the way and we can't uh, utter those, you know, three words, I am sorry. Um, But we know, don't we? We know. How do you know? Who told you? Who told you? Uh, Melvin Tinker in his book about Genesis says, Why did man disobey? Why did woman go her own way? The simple answer is, they chose to. A choice was presented to them. God had said, you can eat anything in the garden, anything you like, except for this one tree. And the shifty snake comes up and says, you know, did God really say you couldn't eat that? Did God really say that? Questioning Right at the beginning we've got somebody who is questioning God's word. Isn't that interesting? In the first book in the Bible we have a character questioning God's word. Did God really say that? 
Did God really say that? They had a choice. And they made the wrong choice. And they disobeyed God. It's the same in the, uh, in the parable of the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son was, we saw it wonderfully and acted for us this morning, didn't we? Uh, the prodigal son makes that choice to take his share of the inheritance. He wants his inheritance now. And he wants to go out and he wants to enjoy life. And he thinks his parents, as all, you know, in my mind, this is a, you know, is a stroppy kind of teenage child that I have quite a bit of experience of, you know, who are convinced that their parents' role is to ruin their lives, to stop them having any fun and enjoyment. And this son says to his father, you know, give me my share of the inheritance now because I want to go out and have a good time and I don't want you to stop me because I know best. And of course all young people think that they know best, don't they? I can remember when I thought I was right all the time. And now I only think I'm right some of the time. <laughs> Not most of the time. No, no, no. Probably none of the time. But, uh, but we know that, don't we? There's a choice to make. Are we going to do what God says? Are we going to listen to God? Or are we going to listen to our own self and do what our own self wants to do? There's a choice. And in the parable... The younger son makes the wrong choice, just as Adam and Eve make the wrong choice. And of course there are consequences when we make wrong choices. There are consequences that affect other people other than ourselves. When we mess up, it's not just ourselves that affected, our family, our friends, maybe our work colleagues if something goes wrong at work. Other people are affected when we make mistakes. And of course, Adam and Eve carry with them the effect on all human nature as they decide to be disobedient to God. And there's something within us. It's not just the teenage child, is it? There's something within human nature that rebels against God. And I dare say you've experienced it. Maybe you're experiencing it now. There's something within our human nature that wants to put ourself at the centre of our world. And God wants to be in the centre of our world. And he doesn't want any other place. And so, our God is a searching God. He has searching questions about us that make us think, you know, where are you? Who told you? These questions are designed to try and make Adam and Eve think about what it is, where they are, and what it is they have done. Why does God ask questions like this? Well, because God wants to save us. God actually wants to save us from ourselves. Because we have a saving God. We have a God who from the very beginning of time had a plan to save humanity. He knew that humanity would go wrong. He knew that human nature would go against him. And there was a plan. It wasn't that Jesus was plan B because everything had gone wrong. Right from the beginning of creation, before the first human being was ever born, God had a plan of how he was going to save us. What have you done is the third question that is asked of the people in Genesis. What have you done? What have you done? Well, Adam and Eve had taken that forbidden fruit. They'd done the one thing that God had told them not to do. 
And this is where the two stories that we've been playing along in parallel uh, go off in different directions. Because if you know the stories of Genesis 3, uh, the story of Genesis 3 has a sad ending. Uh, the man and the woman are cast out of Eden and have to work and are punished for their wrongdoing. The good news is in the New Testament we have a different story. We have a different story when people mess up. Uh, the young uh, son in the story of the prodigal comes to a point of realisation maybe he's heard, maybe he's thinking about those same questions that God asked in Genesis, where am I? well he was in a pigsty uh, longing just to be back home what had he done? he'd made a mess of everything and the realisation that actually the plan that he'd taken had left him with egg on his face or whatever it is that pig, eat, pig eats on, the, on his face, um, made him come to his senses. And we read this wonderful passage, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The son decides that in his wrongdoing, he's going to go back. And of course, the reason that he can go back is because Jesus has paid the penalty for sin. And so we no longer receive the punishment because Jesus paid the price on the cross. He took our place. In the story, maybe the younger son's experience is the same experience of ours. We don't expect God to be waiting for us. We don't expect God to be looking for us, especially when we've done something wrong. Maybe we have in our mind, you know, the picture of, a, of an angry father. Maybe that was our experience. Maybe our experience of a father is a, of, a, of an angry father who's just waiting for us to slip up. The son obviously wasn't expecting the welcome that he received. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. This was the son that had basically said to the father, I wish you were dead because I want your inheritance now. He'd gone off and he'd wasted and squandered half the family fortune. And he comes back. And what does the father do? What would we have done in those circumstances? What would we have done? We'd have grounded the child, wouldn't we? We'd have, we'd have punished the child. And yet in this parable, Jesus has the father welcoming the son. Not just welcoming him, throwing his arms around him, kissing him, putting shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger, a cloak on him. And then the most shocking thing... He throws a party. <laughs> Our God is a God who throws a party. When ever somebody that's done wrong turns around and comes back to God, there is rejoicing in heaven. There's three parables in Luke 15. And if you look at them, they all end in a celebration. They all end with a party. When the lost sheep is found, there's a party. When the woman finds, finds the lost coin, she celebrates with a friend. And when the son returns home, 
the Father throws a party. Our God is a party God who wants to save us. And when he saves us, he throws a party. Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That was his mission statement. That was his reason for coming. To seek and to save what was lost. That's why Jesus came. You can sum it up in that verse. I don't know if you ever watched the, uh, the game show, The Weakest Link. Um, well, once uh, a Christian minister found himself on Anne Robinson's show, The Weakest Link, and as many of you know, Anne Robinson is an absolute tyrant on this program, giving people a really hard time trying to expose their flaws in their knowledge, and she really went for the minister. And a final un- attempt to unsettle him was, I suppose you believe in the gospel, don't you, she said to the minister. And he said, yes. Well then, she said, I challenge you to sing the gospel to me in two sentences. The minister, without a moment's hesitation, sang, Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. (laughs) Don't you wish you could come back with uh, something like that when you're put in a situation? But that idea that Jesus loves you more than you can know fits in the story of the prodigal. Fits in the story of Adam and Eve and fits in our story because we cannot begin to imagine how much God loves us. We just cannot begin to imagine because none of us will have ever experienced love like God has for us. Love that will go to any extreme, even to the extreme of giving up his own son on the cross for us. A love that will forgive anything, anything, even the things that we cannot forgive, even the things that we wouldn't dare dream of forgiving, God can and does and will forgive. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson, Jesus loves you more than you will know. Hear that this morning, hear those words and put your name in that song because Jesus loves you more than you will ever know so we have a saving God we have a seeking God that seeks us out there's no place that we can hide that God won't find us and if you're hiding from God this morning you may as well declare yourself because God knows exactly where you are we have a a searching God A God who continues to look for you and never gives up on you. Other people will give up on you. Friends and family might come to the point where they give up on you, but God will never give up on you. He will continue searching for you. And we have a saving God because God's reason for sending Jesus into this world was because he wanted to save what was lost. One final question. One final question. And then you can go. What will you do? If you know the story of the prodigal son, it doesn't end just with the prodigal son and the party. The younger brother, the older brother, is miffed because he stayed at home and he's worked his socks off for his father. And he can't bear the facts. 
that his younger brother, who made a complete mess of it, is being given a party. And he has this conversation with the father where he says, you know, I've worked for you, I've worked all my life, and what have you ever given to me? You've not even given me a goat. If you know anything about goats, there's not a lot of meat on them and it's quite tough. Uh, Not much of a party with goat meat. And his son's got the fatted calf, lots of meat. And he's envious and he's jealous. And what does a father do? He goes out to him. In the same way that he went out to the younger son. And he pleads with him. Because he also wants him to come in and celebrate and join in what the father is doing. What will we do this morning? In the next few moments, I'm just going to ask the... uh, the musicians to come back and there's an opportunity uh, for us to write uh, something down we've got me you might have a question and uh, as the musicians just uh, just play quietly uh, you know if you feel it appropriate you might just want to come and bring your question and just and just lay them on the front if you want to do that you don't have to uh, you can do that you can ask them as a prayer uh, it might be something uh, symbolic that you find helpful to do. Uh, you might just want to write the question down for your own self and, and take it home. But I just want to give you that space because God gives us space. He allows the prodigal to go off. He allows Adam and Eve to make the wrong decisions. We give us that space. So in these quiet moments, just think about the question uh, that you would uh, bring to God and in a few moments I'll just lead us in a prayer Lord we bring you our questions questions about life questions about faith questions about things that might have been or things that have happened we bring our questions to you Knowing that you are a great big God, that you can handle our questions. And that you answer our questions, not always in the way that we would want you to answer, but you do answer our questions. And sometimes you answer our questions by asking questions of us. And we pray that this morning, as we hear you speaking to us, as we hear those questions, where are you? Who told you? What have you done? Help us to know that you ask these questions because you want to bring the best out of us. You want us to be in a right relationship with you. And that you want to save us. And Father God, you don't only want to save us, you want to save the whole of this world. And we do live in a... A world with so many issues, so many problems, so much heartache and so much pain. And we pray for this world, this world that you sent your son Jesus to live in and to die for. We pray for the land of Syria and we long for peace. And we ask Lord, how long will they have to wait? We're disturbed when we hear the news of of people shooting one another and we pray for the the victims of those shootings in Kenya and the victims of those shootings in America and their families and along with those families we ask why why do people do things like that 
so many questions, Lord. Questions that we can't answer, but that you know. And so we bring these questions as prayers. Asking that you will continue to seek out. And that you'll continue to search. And that you'll continue to save all who are lost. And help us to join in that work with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.